Hello and welcome to Radio Oedipus, the podcast where we explore the culture of beer. And I'm your host, Danny Walker. This is episode number 25. I do recommend you head over to our website to find all previous episodes of the podcast. There you will also find some mixes recorded live in the brewery by our resident taproom DJs. The address is oedipus.com forward slash radio. The podcast is also available by searching Radio Oedipus wherever you get your podcasts. On today's show, Sander Nadevane joins me on the show, the co-founder and head brewer of Oedipus. We have a very special guest for you today, a somewhat beer celebrity, Mr. Willem van Wasberg. Willem is the global master brewer of Heineken. On the show, we chat about the future of beer. We dive into his role at Heineken, look at the ways he can predict changes in beer consumption and how flavour and taste can be perceived differently. It was a strange week in the Netherlands as all bars were forced to close for the second time this year, so it only felt right to discuss how the future may look. As well as that, there's the beer review, what's in the fridge with Foxtel Fermentation Project and the quiz. All that on today's episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast. So hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Oedipus. Sandy Nadevane, how are you doing? Pretty good. Are you? I'm good, thank you. All I'm right. good. <laughs> For 9am on a Friday, I'm, I'm feeling pretty uh, sprightly, we'll say. All right. Uh, we are joined today by Willem van Wasberg, global head brewer of Heineken. It's a real privilege to have you on the show, so welcome. Yeah, you're welcome too. Uh, it's uh, it's nice to be here in uh, in a place uh, like Studio Udipus. Yeah, great. Well, it's good to have you here. Uh, you studied as a geologist. Father was a brewer, and you've worked with Heineken since the 90s, if I'm... Uh, yeah, 95. Is, since 95, okay. And you've been the global head brewer for 17 years. No, not that long. Not that long? No. Around five years. About five, five years, okay. Yes. My information was incorrect. But you're, you're high in demand on the pod, on podcast scene. Yes, it's, yeah. it starts to become popular, po- podcast. Yeah, right? good. Yeah, well, it's, glad to, it's good to have you on this one. I, I listened to the Beer I Am podcast, like I mentioned before we started recording. Some really in- interesting conversations on understanding beer and also the quality of beer and, and also your ju- mm-hmm. journey into beer. I also thought that was uh, interesting. So, obviously, you enjoy talking about beer. Yes, sure. <laughs> it's part of my life. Good, good. All right, before we uh, jump into the topic, we're going to talk a bit about the how Willem views the future of beer. Uh, but I just want to introduce the drink we're going to be drinking today. Well, drinks. I've bought three different bottles, and we're going to be drinking some uh, kombucha by Leave Your Sword. Our friend Nicholas Adam, uh, another maker here in Amsterdam North. So, maybe... Pour us, could you pour us all a glass, Sander, of uh, sure. any particular one? And then we'll... Uh, Start with Cylon. There's Cylon, Lapsang, Darjeeling. I think Lapsang for last. Yeah, yeah, Cylon sure, yeah. Start. And Nicholas was on the first episode. Huh? Yeah, I like yeah, yeah. I like the designs. So, Willem, we, we speak at an interesting time. Earlier this week, all the bars and restaurants were closed in the mm. Netherlands, uh, forced, forced to be closed for the second time this year. And it's a period of uncertainty and unrest for many Bar and restaurant industries have taken a huge hit, but we want to talk a bit about the beer perspective of that. Willem, you travel between many different breweries, not over, not only in the Netherlands, but all over, and your role in, involves a lot of research on the beer consumption. How has the last six months affected your role as the global head brewer of Heineken? Well, uh, no travel. So, no travel. Uh, no travel. So I, I could travel a little bit um, to Belgium, um, but more more or less, uh, there is no travel. Um, I can go to the breweries in uh, in the Netherlands, but I receive a lot of beer. So um, the delivery guys from uh, the PostNL and uh, I don't know what UPS, everyone uh, knows that I have heavy boxes of beer. Yeah. But so every, I think every other day I get a box of beer to taste and to discuss and. Uh, and then see what we can do differently. Yeah, the postal service got pretty efficient over the last six right, months. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but does global head brewer mean <clears throat> you travel around the globe all the time? No, 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 <laughs> no. The, the the main reason why I travel around is um, is to develop new recipes, and that's mainly in Europe, and in uh, and the rest <laughs> of the world is uh, as I'm I'm communicating about beer and Heineken beer in particular. Um, I'm the face of the Heineken brewing, to say so. So when we uh, have activities, commercial activities on, on Heineken beer and it's about the beer itself, then I'm often present. Mm-hmm. But nowadays it's more video, so I'm training. 
we launched Heineken beer locally produced in Mozambique. And then oh, yeah. um, I have a sort of a, a video training of all the salespeople. Before I would do this in person and now um, it's all by video link. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, let's rewind six or seven months before the virus pandemic hit, hit us all. Uh, we'd seen a high rise in the popularity of craft beer, many more interesting beers on the market, mm -hmm. with craft breweries arguably trying to find a beer that's for everyone's taste. How do you see that evolution and how do you adapt as the global head brewer of Heineken to this rise of pop popularity in craft beer? Well, what you, what you see is that craft beer uh, gives consumers uh, a lot of variety and uh, People who drink beer can now choose far more than before. I think this is a good thing. Um, uh, people evolve. Um, they, they want to, to experiment, to want to try. And um, craft beer gives that opportunity. Um, and I think that, that some of the beers are very interesting. Some, uh, personally, I don't like. Uh, it's um, the, the more complex your taste becomes, the less... Um, consumers you'll find so um that's always the issue mm. um so, so you alienate a lot of people with some yes, of these obscure yeah, tastes the ex explicit tastes uh polarizes uh, so so it's about complexity or extremes extremes complexity or if complexity is in balance then it it goes well but as soon as you go into extremes if you <laughs> Um, let's say, um, really stress one taste, make it very citrus-like or um, very hay uh, type of aromas, um, then you will alienate, alienate uh, consumers. Mm. And, and from the Heineken perspective, Heineken's lager is known for its like subtle and crisp taste. What experimentation is possible with Heineken? What do you think about when developing... Well, the for, for the Heineken beer, for me, the, the beer credentials be behind the beer are the most important thing. For me, Heineken is about lagers. Um, they're blonde lagers. They're not so much high in alcohol. Um, and they are brewed with uh, full malt, so only with malt, water, hops, mm. um, and then the Heineken A yeast. So as long as we do that, um, then anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And also, like, like like in the past when we launched the, the H41, so with the wild lager, um, the reason to do that was to stress that the Heineken A yeast gives such a nice aroma of uh, to the beer that when you change it into the mother of its of itself, that the beer completely changes taste um, while you leave everything the same. And it's just to stress that that yeast is such an important thing in beer, and and so. If we, you see Heineken experiment to say so, it will be within these boundaries. Um, full malt, same ingredients, um, looking at, uh, at uh, a crisp, crisp and, and clear beer. Mm. How much has it changed in your time working for Heineken, the flavor and taste? Well, for me, it didn't change. Oh, yeah. so, so, so what we focus on is, is, is keeping the taste the same. You cannot... Uh, keep the process the same. The, the equipment changes over time. Uh, in the past, we had uh, uh, wooden barrels. Now you have uh, stainless steel uh, tanks. Um, you have to change your process to keep um, up with the technology because the technology gives you efficiency and you can discuss if that's an interesting thing or not. Mm. Um, but um, by, by going to, into more efficient ways of producing with different equipment, you still want to have the same taste, so you need to adapt your process. And even if you brew Heineken in all the 66, 68 breweries now where we brew Heineken, um, the basic recipe is the same, so the, the type of ingredients, the, the basic fermentation chart. But every time a brewer in every brewery needs to adapt the process, a little bit to tweak to get exactly the same taste. Yeah. Mm. So fermentation times and temperatures will be slightly different. Um, uh, mashing temperatures will be slightly different just to get the right uh, taste in the end. Mm. Roughly the production plant is 
or the brewery is uh, is the same, right? Or yeah, well, we have some vertical demands. horizontal tanks. Yeah, horizontal fermentation tanks to start with, and then <coughs> a, a vertical fermentation and lagering tank afterwards. So the, the, there is also a basic equipment set which you need to have for yeah. producing Heineken. Um, but still, um, and it also has to do a lot with because you're talking about yeast, uh, because the taste of Heineken is is dependent on the quality of the yeast, how well the yeast was um, kept, and how well you you raise it in the in the in the fermentation. Um, and so the 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 food you give it, so next to the amount of um, uh, how to call it, um, um, extract and proteins, amino acids. Uh, we, we're not brewing everywhere in the world with exactly the same malt. So you need to adapt there a little bit also to, to what the quality of the malt is. And then aeration. So how much, um, how much boost do you give the yeast to, to uh, multiply? Um, there in the aeration, the aeration is very dependent on the 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 way a cellar is um, installed. So mm. how far is the aeration point from a tank? And we have breweries where there is a different aeration regime per row of tanks. Mm-hmm. So um, mm. to get always the same taste. Wow. Mm. So it is arguable then because you're having this different equipment all around the world that Heineken brewed in the Netherlands could taste slightly different to uh, one brewed in Mozambique, like you said. Yeah, well, the, the the chance that it's slightly different is there, and it's, uh, that's what we try to to avoid always. So, so every brewery has to send two boxes of Heineken uh, original beer to the Netherlands, get tasted, analyzed, and they get a verdict. But the, the interesting thing is that the variation um, which is there, which we as uh, Heineken brewers can taste, um, is so small. Mm-hmm. that consumers don't notice. Mm-hmm. Speaking hypothetically, and I said we're going to speak about the future of beer, <clears throat> like lager is and has been the kingpin of beers for so many years. Do you see a time in the in the future where it could not be the drink of choice for many drinkers? Oh, that's... Uh, it depends what you call drink. Uh, but uh, if you look beer, um, I think lager will continue to to stay there at at a certain percentage and probably even majority Mm -hmm. because it's such a refreshing easy drinkable beer drink to to have um i think in you can argue if the alcohol percentage will go a little bit down or not um because of health concerns um but the crispiness and and the, the easiness to drink will stay and 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 maybe that's that's a little bit nasty to say, but the thing is, as we people talk about common denominators, and but con- consumers in general are not always driven by very explicit taste. So um, yeah, okay, this is where the, the 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 balance and the the one way you have very nice explicit tastes, which which you can enjoy for a moment, but if you look at in general, to what you want to drink, or at moments where you want to uh, just relax and have a beer and uh, and and get some some energy back, maybe or enjoy uh, some company, then you go back to the lager again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You said uh, that arguably you could see the the strength of alcohol going down in the beer. Is some of your research suggested that there is a demand for the strength of lager to go down? Well, well, you see, the, 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 it's it. It depends on cultures and 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 where you are in the world. But um, yeah, in in general, there is a, a pressure on the amount of alcohol, and um, I think it's um, it's it's not a bad thing. Uh, alcohol has 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 its its disadvantages, and um, if you if you enjoy it with moderation, then and everything is fine. Mm-hmm. But you see that people. Uh, maybe want to enjoy it a little bit more, then uh, lower alcohol uh, drinks are easier to to do so Mm -hmm. if you want to stay in control. Mm -hmm. And that's in the current time you see that people want to stay more in control than in the previous generations. Yeah, okay. So talk me about this process you do in the research that you do to perceive changes in beer consumption. What, What do you look at when doing your research? 
Oh, I, I'm not doing that research. We have a whole department yeah. uh, looking at what's happening in the world and trends. Um, but then when, when you look personally, you see things happening. Um, uh, you have uh, some things which I find which are based on health notions, but still are, are not as healthy as it should be, mm-hmm. like the heart cells or um, light beers. Um, yeah, it's for me sometimes fooling yourself, um, but apparently it uh, it works. So um, it gives the impression of healthiness or more healthiness than the health, than a standard lager. Mm-hmm. Has your own beer consumption changed a lot recently or past years or so? Well, I started to drink maybe the last five years far more craft beer than before. Okay. Um, and before uh, it was only Afligem uh, uh, or. Yeah, they were mostly Heineken, I would say. Um, it's always my beer to go to. And and not so much the, the sort of more uh, special beer that were part yeah, of the Yeah, well, Heineken. the Belgian beers, like like, like the, <coughs> more the, the, the wit beer, and I liked Weizen always, um, Weizen beers from Germany. And um, I would always have some, uh, some uh, more strong Belgian blonde beers at home. But not so wide. The Belgium, yes, but not so wide as uh, as as I would drink now. I like the hazies, um, the the mil- and the nipas. That's something which I like. Like hop hoppy hop forward beers. Yeah. Um, and I start to appreciate sour beers more, but uh, but I don't like the funkiness. Yeah. So that's um, the opposite ends of the spectrum, really, aren't they? The New England big juicy flavors. Yeah. Yeah, the but the funkiness is something which I just cannot get used to. Mm-hmm. And um, although I trained, it's it's the same like when when I started to when we started to have desperados in the tasting panel in Heineken, um, I also had to get used to that explicit taste of lime and uh, mm-hmm. uh, in spe- especially lime in a beer. Um, so uh, I took a case home and uh, after a week I was used to it. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about uh, the kombucha? Speaking about funkiness. Ah, I uh, haven't tasted it yet. Let's see how it, it develops because, yeah, I think I, Nicholas is a local maker. He's a fermentation nut. There might be some slight funkiness to a couple of his kombuchas. Sander maybe knows a bit more about oh, the taste. This one for me has a, has a nice sweet. Apple-y, apple note, a little bit like baked apples. Yeah. Yeah. So Ceylon tea. Uh, tea. Uh, yeah, there's some tea in the in the background, but it's for me more like apples than. Yeah, but he, there's no extra ingredients in these kombucha, so it's only tea mm-hmm. and fermentation. And um, <clears throat> he uh, has his his culture, but he also sees them behave different in different teas. Yep. Um, it's very and... much. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's fermentation and tea, you yeah. know, and mm. sugar f- uh, to to provide something for the yeast to ferment. Um, but uh, yeah, in the sense, uh, super simple and yeah, I think it's it's really fruity, yeah. yeah also, a bit yeah. bit uh, orangey, maybe also some stone fruits, some yellow fruit. Yeah, for sure. And um, it maybe indeed dried out a bit more than uh, yeah, is that what when, you would expect? when yeah over time yeah. It's the culture because uh, I think there's always a bit of residual sugars uh, in the um, in the kombuchas when they're fresh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and stored cold to uh, slow the fermentation down to mm-hmm. a point where so how much alcohol does it have? He, but, yeah, he, it's a bit of a a, a topic for he always says up to. 2.5 oh, yeah, ABV. Yeah. yeah. So, but then, yeah, uh, this would be on the high end, but maybe when they're younger and a bit more residual sugar, it's a bit lower. <clears throat> uh, yeah. And I, I've, from listening to uh, the other podcast that you've done on Willem, and also when you came to Oedipus earlier in the year when we did the flavor mapping, mm-hmm. um, I heard you talk about how in different parts of the world people perceive taste differently. And I found this quite curious, again, when we did the flavor mapping with some of our beers. Um, what technology is available when you look at flavor and behavior in different places? Ooh, there's not so much technology. It's more, 
But how do you how do you look at that then? Like like with the taste map, we 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 drink beers together or drinks and uh, drink the drinks together and yeah. try to agree on where they are, how they map, and how they um, they refer to each other. We have a sort of a big um, taste. Uh, we call it a taste landscape in Heineken, where um, we look in every market. And for instance, uh, when you look at um, the Belgian market. Um, a lot of Belgian beers have um, um, a 4VG, um, a spicy uh, clove-like aroma in their um, in their beer. So most blondes, most triples, uh, even the, the doubles have it. And when you discuss these beers with people who drink this on a regular basis, they have already blocked that aroma out of their uh, consciousness. Mm. So they talk about their beers as fruity or hoppy. And, but as soon as you bring uh, somebody from outside Belgium, uh, a German person or a French person, and you let them discuss and try the beers, they will immediately say, hey, this is spicy. This is, uh, mm. this is clove-like beers. And you see the Belgians look and say, well, we don't taste that. Mm. No, because it's part of their standard um it's ingrained in them ingrained yeah. in, in the way they appreciate beers so uh, so and in that heineken taste landscape we try to have some beers as anchor points which are in every market the same so that we balance out these differences and this is where the discussions are is a is an afflichem triple is that a, a spicy one or not and for Dutch person or a German person, it's a spicy one. For a Belgian person, it's a fruity one. Mm. So this is where we are discussing. And the same for Mexico. In Mexico there, um, most beers are, are very light tasting. So for them, as soon as the bitterness goes at uh, 16 uh, EBU, for them it's already a very hoppy beer. Mm. And here in in, uh, in Europe, we would say a 16 beer is in, in the low side of hoppy. Mm. 16 EBU. So it, it differs, and, and the same for for in the Czech uh, in the Czech Republic, where people like a certain uh, butterscotch taste in in their lagers, which mm. in other countries uh, are not so is not so much appreciated. It's but it's arguable then if in society things change, let's say lager <sighs> consumption just go go up, or in Belgium these traditional Belgian beers become unfashionable or something in 10, 20 years, their palate could change, let's say. So it's down to things like that. Yeah, yeah, you see that, that, that's, that that's happening. You see uh, markets also going down often in bitterness or going up in sourness in these type of things. You can see that, yes. Mm. And when you started your role as the global head brewer of Heineken five years ago, could you have predicted the rise in craft beer in the Netherlands? Uh, I know it was already going on, but maybe maybe in reference to when you started at Heineken. Uh, yeah, with hindsight, ago. everything is predictable. But um, <laughs> no, no, it's it's um, to the extent that we have eight hundred breweries in the Netherlands, or 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 people who claim to be have breweries. Um, yeah, no, no, that's that's enormous, and and yeah, what I I hope that that. They survive uh, this corona crisis, but course, yeah. uh, it's. Um, I think it's a lot. It's a lot, and and every time I think, okay, how are you making yourself special? How what 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 does every new brewery add? If that breweries which are selling around uh, the chimney, uh, then and with their own tap room, they will survive and they will keep. Uh, they have a decent life, but if they want to grow and become a national brand, then they will fight each other out of the corner. Yeah. Mm. And there is there are studies that suggest that like a new generation of uh, what could be beer drinkers are consuming less less and less alcohol. Mm-hmm. How do you see beer consumption changing in years to come? In say ten years, and then also in thirty years. I, I, I think in total people will go down in their alcohol consumption and um, and they will experiment more and more with lower alcohol drinks. Um, so um, uh, some three and a half or maybe two um, or like even the zero zeros. And 
as a volume, it's growing like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you never know if this is a, a temporary thing. Um, uh, in the 1990s, in the early 1990s or late 80s, you had this whole trend of malt beers in the Netherlands, which went up to 10% of the volume, <coughs> crashed down uh, afterwards. I think still think it's because of the taste. The taste was just not good enough to sustain. I think now we are getting into uh, um, low and zero alcohol drinks, which are far better tasting, and so probably will stay. If if also the generations which come uh, support that that way of moderation and 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 going into control more than. And really spat out and go crazy. They will probably do so, but in general, it will be lower. How do you prepare for like possible changes like that? Yeah, I, I don't think you can prepare that easily. <laughs> uh, it's there are a lot of things which are just pure luck or chance uh, when you launch things. And and this is what I like about craft world is that there's far more. Um, possibility to trial and error and learn and see and this is also why why also within Heineken and why I am interested in what's happening in the craft world because you see that things are being experimented which we just cannot do uh, as a big company that easily mm-hmm. and you were instrumental in developing Heineken zero zero and I really enjoyed the conversation where you were talking about it on the beer I am podcast and you spoke about yeah, this psychology of consumers when drinking it, they just basically wanted a Heineken that had this uh, that tasted the same as mm-hmm. the normal version. Why was developing a zero zero uh, beer for Heineken such an important thing? Yeah, well, because uh, again, um, you want to have let people have choice, um, and with this pressure and moderation, now with the Heineken zero zero, we also have. Um, um, just an offer for that choice where you can choose, okay, I want to have the approximately the same taste and still have a Heineken, um, but it's no alcohol. And I think that will happen more and more that for every brand you want to have uh, the, the zero zero version so that you can stay in control. Mm-hmm. And um, so this, this play will, will continue, uh, but to... For us, it was important that that for the first time also within the company, we started to believe that a good zero-zero was possible. Uh, because before, I, and I, I told that before, is I when I started to develop the Heineken zero-zero, in my heart, I was not believing it was possible. And then during the process, uh, I, I was wrong. I was just plain wrong. And, uh, mm. and now with the, the 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 knowledge that it is possible and that consumers also acknowledge it mm. that, that that it's a, it's a good and resembling beer now we have far more options to work on mm. we've we've seen the psychology change haven't we Sandy? because you and you also look for uh, exciting beverages that are also alcohol free i know we mentioned on the show previous when talking about Heineken 00, zero mm-hmm. that <coughs> having you would prefer to drink something like that over a, over a soda or right. something, yeah. just because it is a, an excited f- fermenting fermented drink, isn't it? Well, <clears throat> and it's not just about sweetness yeah. and uh, and maybe fruit flavor in uh, Fanta or Casas yeah, uh, yeah. or uh, that's just fruit, sugar, acidity, mm-hmm. and I like I think. Maybe a bit more grown-up flavors better. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe some bitterness, maybe some acidity. There can be fruit flavors in a beer <clears throat> or in kombucha that we have in front of us. Uh, also some acidity, maybe some sugars. But um, yeah, I appreciate that way more. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit more depth, maybe a bit more... Yeah, uh, umami, earthy, uh, hearty flavors instead of... yeah. Uh, soft drinks mm-hmm. or most of the soft drinks and yeah yeah it depends a bit on the moment but uh yeah so beer is, is something i appreciate and the development of low abv or low abv uh, options uh mm-hmm. provided either by brewers or by uh other makers uh, mm-hmm. yeah 
And with being able to enjoy those kind of drinks without the alcohol in them as well. Yeah, that's that, the thing. Yeah. 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 Hangovers uh, last longer these days with me, <laughs> at least. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it can be frustrating at sometimes. Yeah, sure. Now, I brought some kombucha to the table, and this is. Uh, Oh, this is obviously for a reason because I wanted to talk about the zero zero a bit. And during the process of developing that zero zero beer, how aware of, were you of new trends like uh, kefir <laughs> or kombucha? And how do you re- how do you view the uh, the rise in drinks like that as well? Well, it, it, I think it, what I like about it is there are brewed products. Yeah? So yeah, uh, so with tea and coffee, you can still say brewed. Um, I think this is an important thing. Um, that it's some th- somewhere there is the craftsmanship of of people and and natural ingredients and you get into a an, an, yeah a taste which is in, indeed as uh, as Sander says uh, not sugary and uh, and and soft drinky more adult soft drink to say so um, and I think that it um, a kombucha like this this is uh, I, I really the, the first thing I know just now taste was for me it was quite clean and nice mm-hmm. uh, as i said um, as soon as i taste funky i know there's something bad happening um <laughs> some bad uh, microorganisms what i feel bad organism but okay maybe i'm talking too much as a brewer no but these type of drinks are interesting the the, the thing is is uh, we, heineken is still a large company um we make our money um with more with large volumes and not always with the smaller volumes and and we look at kombucha but it's not something which is at this moment yet big enough to think okay mm. now we really have to do something and then on the other hand if if you want to control our, it's in our dna to if you want to make larger volumes you need to be consistent and consistent in your quality of your product. Um, and we see that that's still a, quite an issue with kombucha. There is, um, it's difficult to get that in a consistent way. And then you bring in um, microorganisms into a brewery, which um, we also don't like too much. So <coughs> you need to adapt your your processes and your equipment. So it's quite a hurdle um, for a larger brewery to to adapt to uh, a new organism. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly uh, the inconsistency is mostly the fermentation from the fermentation, uh, from yeah. the inconsistency in fermentation or yeah. raw materials. Mostly. No, I think in the in the <coughs> fermentation, the, okay. the, the 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 starter. Well, if you if you really use starter cultures, then. And 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 predefined starter cultures, then you probably get far better. Mm-hmm. But um, what I experienced till now with a lot of kombuchas is that um, those starting conditions were not every time the same. So mm. then, by definition, you get different types of tastes and or fermentations and inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. I suppose the right ri- the rise in this trend is also down to something you said at the beginning there, which was this uh, appreciation of quality products. And we've seen that on the show. We've had uh, uh, good quality bakers, people making fermented craft snacks and stuff like that. And I know that it's not only beer that you have a good appreciation of, you also enjoy uh, wine as well. Mm -hmm. And you've spent time with winemakers in France, is it? Uh, Yeah. yeah? How does that passion of other quality drinks affect your work as a brewer? And what similarities do you see between beer and winemakers, really? Yeah, for me, it's it's, it's all about taste, and and um, I like like balanced and and drinkable tastes. Um, but when I was trained by my father, well, when I was young, we already had. Well, you're not allowed to say anymore, but but when I was young, we could get. A little bit of wine at the table. Uh, um, so my brother was more a beer guy, and I was the wine guy at the uh, at table, maybe. Um, but um, it was always I was always interested in 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 wine. And then when I started to work with my father, when he started to train me, the first thing he did was um, uh, 
let me uh, have a practice at a winery in France and start um, uh, producing uh, or helping with the harvest and the first and starting the first uh, fermentations. Um, even then, there um, we were started with uh, starter cultures, um, looking at what was lacking in the in the fermentation itself. How could we um, force the fruitiness? So, so what they did was a sort of uh, called maceration carbonique. So they put pressure on the on the tank, and you get a little more better fruit extraction out of the out of the grapes. Um, although um, in Heineken, it's the other way around. If you put pressure on the on the on the tank, uh, you get less esters. But okay, um, that's a different mechanism. But that's where I started to learn and see that things were that you had to uh, adapt to the yeast and not the other way around. So um, you had to every fermentation, even if you gave it the same, you gave it every time the same yeast. You saw that every field gave a different fermentation, which was for me already quite strange that, that one field gave a faster fermentation than the other. What, what's in the field? What's in the grapes? Mm. That, um, that fermentation went two days faster and the temperatures were controlled. So, and that's in the food and in the, in the, in the raw materials. In the raw materials um, and how you maybe have treated it or not. Um, so that for me was a, the first moment when I started to think about what fermentations were and uh, and as I said also in the BRM uh, and then I did this brewing uh, course uh, in Siebel in Chicago and David Ryder was the first one who could who gave me the the, um, the skeleton of thinking of of the relations of things in uh, uh, this is what I'm, I'm a more theoretical brewer than a than a practical brewer I if I can't put something, when I listen to people talking about beer or wine, I always want to, the things they say, I want to hang them in my, my list of, of relations of how tastes and, and, and things are related to each other. If I can't hang it somewhere on, uh, on the skeleton, I either have to build a new arm but some, I know most of the time they are talking bullshit. And <laughs> that's, um, but that that's how I. Yeah, look. is it so? Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, there are no mysteries in uh, alcohol. There's still mysteries. Yeah. There are mysteries. So <coughs> I have always the possibility to say, okay, this is where maybe have to think and and have another arm. But as soon as we're talking about extract or um, carbon dioxide and. Uh, some part of the esters and uh, um, and foam, for instance, and these type of things, then uh, there is already quite some knowledge there right. to to understand what's happening, or even also with staling, uh, aging of beers. Then, then something. Yeah, then I have to. But um, be if, quiet. Let's say, say if so. a farmer uh, mm-hmm. was uh, um, experiencing these field to field differences. And has an explanation for that that might be uh, different than what fits your framework of, of, yeah, of how would, things work. Do you fun. want to dive in? Or yeah, do I you want have to dive to? in. Yeah. I want to dive in. I want to know why. You're going to take samples, uh, taste There's them, analyze them. There's a possibility, but I first want to know why he thinks so. If he has uh-huh. no why, um, I, I can imagine that the geology is different or that the the amount of sunshine, or I don't know what, uh, is different. Um, but those differences are that's unfortunately in, in our systems of collecting uh, grains. The field differences are quickly blended away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, those relations are almost impossible to find. To find, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's different in wine, where there's in wine certain it's very, very clear and. And and most winemakers they have they have also that tank uh, constellation and the, the is the and the, the the sizes of the tanks are often dependent on the sizes of their plots. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. So that they can say okay, this is so all their plots are. But the, the in the in the winery where I was working, they they have different sizes and they approximately 
uh, are linked to the plot. So you make wine per plot, and then you start blending. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Heineken has shares and partnerships in other craft breweries, namely us and the UK's Beavertown. Um, is there anything that you can learn by working with these smaller breweries? And is there a kind of common piece of advice that you give to these breweries when discussing and developing beers? <laughs> uh, no, they're, they're quite different in in taste and in 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 uh, <laughs> also in design and everything in in the feeling of 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 a brand um and in taste um every brewery has its own sort of um direction and that's that's interesting to see and uh, um when when you are Working together, well, one of the things which I try to implement, but it's quite slowly, is, is always safety. Um, I'm always a little bit, uh, yeah. The, the thing is, safety is 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 important for people, and 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 often that's not the first thing people think of. So, um, starting a brewery, starting a brewery, is <laughs> or safety. general, yeah. or I want in general, <laughs> uh, because. It, we're used to our homes and we're not always very safe in our own homes when we cook and do things. And even I am, I'm not always as safe as uh, I should be or protected as I should be in my own home. But when you go into a place where you work together, the thing is you just want to come home as safe as you went to your company. And um, so... So we have some things like in Heineken, we have that life-saving rules. Mm-hmm. And those are the first things I would like to, I, I'm, I'm stressing a little bit to be implemented. So don't kill your co-workers. Let's not do that. Let's start with that. Minimize the risk. Minimize the risk. That's, uh, so, yeah, because uh, people die on their jobs. People yeah. die on their jobs, uh-huh. which is terrible. Yeah. And, and you don't want to go and tell a family that, that uh, somebody doesn't no. come home. No. And, and we, have a, we have a couple of very dangerous things in a brewery, like a fermentation tank full of carbon dioxide. Or when you empty a fermentation tank and you push it empty with carbon dioxide, that's okay, but if you then clean out the tank and all the carbon dioxide goes into a room and the room is not ventilated or there's no detection or anything like that, then you risk and you fall on the ground because the carbon dioxide will be on the ground in a layer, you could die. Or when you go into enclosed uh, enclosed uh, rooms like, like a fermentation tank, if you go into a tank, into uh, a kettle... Um, dangerous things so what what i'm looking at is what are then the procedures what do you do to prevent that some some of this happens mm. have you seen anything that has just been made you want to pull your hair out because it was just a bit of a horror yeah, show Yeah, but it, it makes no <laughs> sense to 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 pinpoint uh it, it it's you need to sensibilize people to get themselves decide yes i want to change yes i find it important to look at this i can i can give all directions and say this is how it should be and i mm-hmm. give uh, instruction here mm-hmm. and then people read it and uh, put it aside you have to safety is about what you do yourself about your own uh, they need to come to their own realization. So. It, it, it is something of yourself if you want to keep yourself safe and and others then mm. you will do it yourself it's a mindset right yeah it's a mindset yeah. it's just behavior yeah and uh, yeah it's funny i just think back to the home brewing conversations we've had where uh maybe it's not the same as safety but when we're chatting to james he realized his beers developed so much better when he realized he just had to clean thoroughly and like uh maybe it's the same what no. you just no, pay th- attention to the theoretical <laughs> side of it then the the taste of the beer will develop if, yeah. as long as you keep the structure. Yeah, and, and for consumers, and and it's maybe for home brewers and and and, <coughs> and crowd brewers, exploding bottles is really a big issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if you if you leave too much sugar into a beer and there is still yeast, uh, exploding bottles could be a, a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, 
That's uh, every Omberer experienced. Yes, it, yes, I am afraid. I know, and, I know, uh, and and a lot of the Dutch craft brewers started as homebrewers, as yes. uh, yeah, taught themselves what yeah, it was so about. So they had uh, a cellar full full of exploding <coughs> bottles, but it's not a nice place to be when they start exploding. Mm-hmm. No, it's horrifying. Yes, <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> it's not not nice. And and okay, if it's your own cellar and it's yourself, and you you okay, you take that risk. You don't want uh, a consumer to uh, have an exploding bottle in their eyes. No, certainly not. So as a big brewer, what do you see developing within the craft beer scene in coming years? Yeah, well, what I see, I think uh, I, I like the, the hazies, the the naipas. It's, um, what's interesting about it is that it's uh, a very explicit taste fruity flavors um very uh, very uh, popular flavors mm-hmm. um with a low bitterness so that um that is something which is attractive to a lot of people mm-hmm. um i must say that uh, our dear friend Dirk Nautz is a, um, always a little bit careful about too much hops in a in a beer because uh he thinks that uh, that there is maybe too much uh, too much uh, compounds which are maybe not so good for you, but that's um, we have to see if that's if that stays or not, or can we remove that? But uh, I like the, I think the hazies are there. Um, you think they'll stick around though? Because I already from speaking to people in craft beer, it's like. Uh, they're loved, or, they're loved or hated. Some of them call them like uh, just hop juice, yeah. oversweet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, yeah. But then you're talking to there are a lot of people in this world who do not like bitterness. Yeah. Okay. So um, <clears throat> all beer aficionados are so trained in bitterness, and are, uh, they or and I'm maybe nasty. Don't taste it. Or they are so used to it and like spicy foods mm-hmm. that you just cannot live without it. Uh, the, the cannot live without the pain of bitterness. <laughs> I don't know. Life will be dull without Life uh, will be dull and a knife in your tongue. Yeah, but there are <laughs> so many people who do just not like bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them, uh, a naipa is a very nice, uh, low bitter, very fruity uh, drink. Mm-hmm. So, if and that's also why sour beers. If sour beers get a little bit less sour, more fruity, uh, those will also uh, grow. Mm-hmm. But do you think uh, hazy IPAs will ever become as big as or bigger than IPAs now? Will it become the biggest IPA? Because there's also, you know, they can be very pleasant and, uh, and, and indeed fruit forward, but they mm-hmm. also, they age rapidly and uh, maybe develop flavors that are not exactly the most yeah, it could be. accessible. But, but if... It, it's because I, I think it's not yet taken up by by large volumes. Um, but can you ever do that? Can you keep the beer and distribute it and and have it uh, from, uh, from from I don't know from yet. packaging? Into, I don't know uh, yet if you can make it as consistent as I would no, like. Because it. I think one, two, three months, then or you really have to store it really cold. Yeah, that's possible. Or or. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think we should do some tests to uh, and and use different. We're not doing already. What? <laughs> yeah, we're doing some tests, but uh, I don't. I haven't seen the results yet. Okay, but it's not like like um, the naipas and hazies are, are still very small volumes, even in the. Craft breweries where where Heineken is slightly linked to, yeah, ah, we don't really do it. No, <laughs> no. So, uh, you, you, uh, and and maybe uh, Lagunitas has one hazy or two hazies, and uh, that's approximately. And uh, North has a, a Naipa, a session Naipa, I think. 
approximately it. Yeah, beef Thanos and uh, not really. A ha- yeah, they've maybe one hazy lately, but I haven't seen since I can't travel uh, to the UK. I haven't tasted their late. Uh, Latest everything, brews. everything. They they send beer to me, but not uh, all the specials. <laughs> They're hiding some stuff from you. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, in the end, uh, the, the reason why <laughs> why our craft partners want our help is to grow certain uh, brands into a bigger volume, um, and so that's where I concentrate on on these beers, not on the I. I I think it's really nice that uh, that there is still this this trial and error in the smaller breweries, and and I I'm not going to interfere with that. Mm. Is uh, I'm just looking and enjoying what's happening there. Nice. All right, Willem. Thank you for answering the questions. Mm-hmm. That was very good. Thank you. What do you much. think of this uh, Darjeeling? It's it's less uh, for me. It's less explicit as the first one. Yeah. I've just cracked open the Lapsang, which yeah. is my favorite, the oh, yeah. the smoky one. It's delicious. Also has a, a little bit, bit of, more uh, sour. It's a little bit stringent. It's um, tannic. Both, tannic, both yeah. were pretty tannic. And I yeah, think but that this one is more tannic than... Um, yeah. It stays a little bit in my, on my cheeks. Yeah. And I have a bit of uh, leathery, spicy... Not sure if it's bread or the culture. Yeah. I, the first one the was more clean, was better, yeah, a fermented. bit more accessible fruitiness. Yeah. This is now I really taste uh, the black tea to say or the mm. tea. Yeah, I, that's what I like about uh, this kombucha, though the dryness of it, the tea forwardness of it. Yeah, Com- it's again really dry. Also, yeah. and, and, and the, what's the last one? That is this one. Yeah, smoked tea. Lapsang <laughs> Sichuan. Yeah. My uh, brother-in-law favorite tea. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I think uh, what what came up in this conversation a couple of times is the the focus on fermentation. I think these drinks are very suitable for or they match this conversation right. really good and like the insights on wine and how a beer maker and also how do you see Heineken really as this fermentation for flavor forward lager uh yeah it uh, sort of matches yeah Yeah. definitely let's take a quick break to discuss what's in the fridge with Wendy and Felipe from Foxtail Fermentation Project based in San Jose California let's give them a call hello Wendy and Felipe joining me from San Jose in California how are you both today Good, doing good. Very excellent. Nice. Well, it's great to chat with you both. You both own and run Foxtail Fermentation Project, like I said, based in California. How did Foxtail start out, if you wouldn't mind telling me? It started out literally the first time we ever talked in a bar one night. I was talking about how I was really into food fermentation. I have a culinary background and he was telling me about brewing beer and we were kind of a little bit enamored with each other. So it just bloomed from there. And then we started talking about how much fun it would be to homebrew together. And so he taught me that and it came up very fast. And my background's in professional brewing. I've been brewing in the SF Bay area for like six years. And so just to kind of keep the creative like mindset going, like I had been homebrewing pretty much throughout all of those years and didn't really become a serious hobby on the side until I met Wendy. And so kind of like fuse our interests together, food fermentation and like sour beer fermentation. And how do we create this like cyclical product of like making sours with her brine and how do we make fermented foods with sours? And that was how the, the original project had begun. Yeah, nice. Like all good projects are formed in a bar, I find. So <laughs> that's good to hear. Uh, and like you both said, your beer focuses on a lot of fermented food. That's also a big part of what you do, the fermented food part. And by looking on your Instagram, there's lots of colorful ingredients on there. It really is quite mouthwatering. How important is it using things like fresh and locally grown ingredients in what you make? It's really important. We live in a very agriculturally diverse area. We have friends with farms. We have amazing markets around us. And 
the opportunity is there for us to utilize everything within a hundred mile radius and to support people who are working around us. So to go and grab ingredients from just anywhere would really be missing out on like these incredible flavors that we have available right here for us. Historically, the Bay Area, or at least in the San Jose, the South Bay Area, was known as the Valley of the Heart's Delight. And this is where a lot of the original orchards and a lot of like old farmhands had been here for, for many, many years. And at Silicon Valley, like became a thing. A lot of the orchards had disappeared, but that kind of farm energy is still around here and not, and not utilizing the ingredients in our area would be almost criminal. Yeah, <laughs> like we're yeah, in a very yeah. like lush region and we have great opportunity to use local fresh fruits and vegetables. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm expecting an exciting fridge then, guys. <laughs> so are you ready to talk about your fridge a little bit? Yeah. Okay, so what's the most recent beer you've drank or what's fresh in the fridge? The most recent beer we drank is something called Early Birds. It's a collaboration between Hen House Brewing in uh, Santa Rosa and Drake's Brewing Company in San Leandro. So both Bay Area breweries. Cool. And they do a lot of collaborations, but something they had just released in the past few weeks is something called Early Birds. And it's an important imperial pale ancestral ale. It's a double IPA and in the world of hazy beers right now, this is a very clear West Coast double IPA style, brewed in like the hazy kind of format. So multiple dry hops, very juicy, very aromatic with really light bitterness. And th- that is more my style of IPA right now. Yeah. I still enjoy very much the clear beer. <laughs> nice, nice. Is that something you've been drinking as well, Wendy? Yeah, yeah. We had that together just last night. Monday. Monday. On yeah. Indigenous People's Day. On Indigenous People's Day, we drank oh, that. Nice. So yeah, it was really great. I'm on his level as well. Like I like IPAs that are bright and loud but have a good clean body to them. <laughs> yeah, is there is there ever any disagreements in beer drinking? Or do you find that you generally get on? We're pretty much on the same page, it seems like. Like, we tend to drink everything together, too. Yeah. Like, we'll buy four packs and split them. And, like, usually when we buy something, it's to try something new. Yeah. And so we're always looking for beers that have, like, interesting ingredients or interesting processes. And if we're going to drink something, we're going to make it count, you know? Yeah, <laughs> nice, I'd say yeah. it's pretty rare that there's something that we don't agree on. We're generally, like, a lot of <laughs> different options. All right, cool. And what was a beer that recently impressed you? That would be, um, for me at least, it was this um, People Power from uh, Yeast of Eden, another Bay Area. They're Bay Area, right? Like Monterey, Carmel. Like Monterey. So it's a barrel-aged Saison with black limes and Motueka hops. Cool. And it was beautiful. It was really, really... I don't know. It had like deep kind of like burnt sugar and it was really rich, but it had a like nice yeasty, earthy sourness to it. And it's like another beer that's kind of created in support of the American Civil Liberties Union. And it's a beer to try and like raise money and raise awareness for really important issues. So I really enjoyed that a lot. We had that... mm, Last week. Last week. Yeah. Ah, nice. Okay. Yeah. The the ingredients on that are ones that I haven't come across in other beers. That's interesting. And how about a beer that you always go back to? Maybe one that has a particular nostalgia feel to it. I think for me, something I try to keep the fridge stocked with whenever it's available is uh, Sante Adarius Rustic Ales. They're down in Capitola. They make incredible mixed fermentation beers and IPAs, but their Saison Bernice is like the beer that I first fell in love with to like really get into sour beers. And they don't always have it available, but lately with online shipping and things like that, whenever it's available, I try to like buy as many bottles as I can. And so I just, you know, in the world of COVID now, when bottle sales are available, they tend to sell it really quickly. But that's like one thing I always try to keep the fridge stocked with because it's it's an amazing drinking beer, but also the beard side still has plenty of like good uh, yeast and bugs available to like make good homebrews with too. So that was something that we really started experiment with was like collecting beers that we really like and then trying to reverse engineer them you know so nice yeah 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 and how about you wendy mine is uh death and taxes it's a black lager from uh moonlight brewing in santa rosa and there was a very very long period of time where i really couldn't actually drink beer because of dietary issues health issues and whatnot but that was one that i could drink Okay. And I love it. It's just, it's comforting. It's good on a cold afternoon or cold evening. And if it's there, I have a tendency to kind of ignore anything else and just like, I do love me a good death in taxes. So that's mine. <laughs> just get lost in the beer. That's what, yeah, that's what I, I love like. It. It's yeah, always nice. good. All right, guys. Well, thanks for chatting to me. Yeah. Where can we find your beers? Where can we find you online? 
So you can't technically find our beers yet because we're <laughs> in the midst of finalizing all of the details, all the everything to actually open our brewery. So we've been primarily a home brewing project and we're actually in the really exciting steps of turning into a real proper brewery. So soon you will be able to find us primarily in Bay Area, California, but yeah. In the meantime, yeah. find us on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. yeah, Instagram, Facebook, Foxtail Fermentation Project. Foxtail, T-A-L-E, like um, like a story. <laughs> All the best, guys. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you. A special thanks to Wendy and Felipe. Remember, if you want to get in contact with me, send a message to radio at com. For now, let's get back to the quiz with Sander and Willem. Let's do the final part of the podcast, if that's okay. Willem, we're going to do the quiz. Oh, okay. And uh, this quiz, Sander's going to be my assistant. (laughs) And this quiz is to, as the global head brewer of Heineken, I'm going to test your geography a little bit. Oh, it's actually, I also think use the term global head brewer. I see it written down, but it's actually global master brewer. It's global master Uh, master brewer. Okay, uh, okay. Everybody understands what it means. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, I yeah? do apologize. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that there is 68 different brewing plants across uh, different countries, I think. Mm-hmm. But maybe my facts are a bit wrong Making here. Making Yeah, we don't want to call it plants. It's still a brewery. Still a brewery. Okay. You'll have to excuse me if some of my details are incorrect, but just go with the quiz because I've yeah. just uh, I've, I've ripped it off Heine- uh, ripped it off uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see how well you know the distance between these different breweries. Ooh, okay, uh, they're mostly mostly uh, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're actually all in Europe. Yeah. So we'll start with the distance in between the Heineken experience here in Amsterdam and the Caledonian Brewery in Edinburgh, and that's approximately nine hundred and eighty kilometers by car. So then if you were to travel... By to, car? By car, yeah. 980 kilometers. Not by flight. Not by flight, yeah. Okay. I, with the help of... This uh, quiz is sponsored by Google Maps. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then if, then if you were to travel from Edinburgh to the Alken Mays Brewery in Belgium, would it be higher or lower in terms of kilometers? I would say lower. <sighs> Incorrect. It's higher. It's 1,100 kilometers. Okay. And then from Belgium, if you were to go to Heineken Italia, mm-hmm. is that higher or lower than 1,100 kilometers? Heineken Italia in Pedavena or which one? The one that comes up on Google Maps. <laughs> oh, <laughs> higher. Higher. Uh, incorrect. Incorrect. Uh, incorrect again. Lower, 940. Oh, this is all uh, <laughs> very small differences. Yes, yeah. they're, they're, they are. How many uh, Heineken breweries are there in Italy? Oh, you have Comanovo, Massafra, um, in Sardinia. Uh, oh. So the, this is, uh, this is uh, quite. This is three, yeah. someone needs to update okay. their Wikipedia page. I think the there is Messina one. now also coming up. Yeah. So then from from uh, Italy, we're going to take a, a trip to the Czechoslovakia. Yeah. The Staro Bruno Brewery. Yeah. Uh, how is that higher or lower than nine hundred and forty kilometers? Lower. Slightly higher. <laughs> Again, it's nine hundred and fifty <laughs> kilometers. <laughs> So then we're going to go from oh, the Czechoslovakia the terrible to... Terrible score, to, this, uh, <laughs> course. I will be lowest on the, on the, on the one. Uh, They're going to beat Rick Kemper, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely but. not Rick beating Rick. So we're going from the Czechoslovakia then to Croatia. Uh, and is that higher... So Heineken, Croatia. Is that higher or lower than 950 kilometers? No, back south. No, then we say lower. Yeah, he's off the mark. Yes, approximately five hundred and forty kilometers. Uh, oh, I have a double question here. It looks like we're going back to Heineken, Italy. Uh, I do apologize, but yeah. So then, from uh, Heineken, Croatia to Heineken, Italy, how how many how many kilometers is that? Lower, higher, six hundred kilometers. Mm. I have written down. So then, from Heineken, Italy, uh, we're going to go to uh, France to Brasserie. L'Espérance. 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 In Strasbourg. Is that uh, higher or lower than 600 kilometers? Higher. It's lower, 480. (laughs) So then we're going to go, we're going to meander down south through France uh, to Heineken Madrid. 
Mm-hmm. Higher or lower than 480? Higher. Definitely. Yes. That's 1,600 kilometers. It's an easy one. Then we're going to shoot up from Madrid to Heineken, Nederland. Higher or lower than 1,600? Higher. Just, yeah, 1,720. <laughs> and then we're going to shoot up north to Heineken, Cork in Ireland. Mm-hmm. How, how many kilometers is that? Is that higher or lower than 1,720? From Heineken, Nederland. Yeah. By road, eh? By road. I know there's a, maybe a, a ferry in between, two ferries in between. I would say lower. Yeah, 1,170. And then He's after on. your uh, nice 10-day trip, we're going to come back to Udipus. And uh, how many kilometers is that from Ireland to Udipus? Is it higher or lower than 1,170? Lower. Slightly higher, 1,222 <laughs> to be approximate. Oh, All right. terrible. So how did Willem do that? Terrible quiz. Four out of ten. Four out of ten. That's respectable, I would yeah, say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Respectable. But uh, there was, no, there was no, almost no place there, so that's good. Yeah. Or Rick is five or four? Also. We can find some room for you on Rick there. Rick is ten. Rick's and, uh, ten. Rick Nelson. Oh. Rick Nelson is also four. four. Yeah, so sure. We'll put, we'll put you next to Rick Nelson. Oh, okay. Chateau Bosse-Bayer. Still in good company. If you ask me capitals or things like that, <laughs> geographical thing, that's easy. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't want to see uh, 10 out of 10 again. You know? oh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but uh, just to cap off, Willem, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. That was great. Uh, big shout out to Leave Your Sword Kombucha and see you again next time. Right. right. Okay. A very special thanks for listening to Radio Oedipus. A big shout out to Willem and also to Sander. Like we discussed, today's show was all about the future of beer. During this period, remember to support your local maker, cafe owner, brewer, or whoever that may be by buying some beer, coffee, or bread. Every little bit can help them out. Next week, we get a burger masterclass from the one and only Simon Parrott, a.k.a. The Beef Chief. Remember to check out previous episodes of the podcast by heading to oedipus.com forward slash radio and by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. The podcast is also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and remember to like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music on today's show is written and composed by Ola Eye Music and tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer.